Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. When you when you see the schedule, you want to be in those big games. You want to um, play against the best because that's really how you that's really how you show like what you can do, so, uh, especially on the national stage. Um, you know you got to bring it. Um, you know this is this is things you live for, and if you're not if you're not living for this, I mean like shoot, you might as well not play football. Like this is the games that you want to be in, the situations you want to be in, the big games. I mean obviously it's, it's the number three team in the country, but I don't think we're gonna we're gonna prepare any different this week than we would any other week. So. Man, I'm excited. I'm super excited. I got a lot of people, a lot of family that want to come see me play, a lot of people that haven't been able to travel here to see me play. And so since this is in Norman, in my home state, a lot of people get to come see me. So I'm super excited. I'm super pumped and ready to get to, get to work. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, it's one, it's, it's a good thing that we get to have the opportunity to play uh, one of the best teams in the country. And uh, it's not going to be easy, but we're going to be ready to work. And right now, we're just going to take care of what's in front of us. And OU, that's them. So we're going to come ready to work. All right. Welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. It's Nebraska, Oklahoma. It's a big noon kickoff, 11 a.m. Central Time on Fox as Gus Johnson and, and, and the main crew will be announcing this game. 50th anniversary, Robin, of the game of the century, 1971. But if you're Luke Reimer, it was in, maybe in the 1960s, but he wasn't sure. <laughs> Give or um, take. And I think it really gives some good perspective. This week is great for all the old guys like us. We're like, ah, oh, the, the glory days. But when Ben Stilley, who's like the oldest Husker player in recent memory uh, besides – Damian Jackson, who's 29, said, look, I was 13 the last time Nebraska played Oklahoma, and I'm in my sixth year at Nebraska. It puts things more in perspective that, you know, the players, they can kind of say, yeah, I understand or respect the history, but it, the history is for us and the fans and the, to rekindle things. I think for the team, this game is, is an opportunity for the program to show where they're at against a top-five brand in college football. Exactly. I mean, that, that for, for this Nebraska team, that's really all that matters. I mean, they have a real general understanding of what the rivalry used to be, but uh, Oklahoma is not this Nebraska team's rival. I mean, obviously, they've never even played them, and a lot of these guys – didn't even you know remember watching uh, when the rivalry was in its heyday. So uh, for for them, this is all about being able to play the number three team in the nation uh, with a chance to kind of turn the narrative of your season around to where you know if you go out there and uh, you know play well and can be our competitive in this game, let alone maybe have a chance to win it, uh, that can do a lot to kind of bring some life back into this season after that awful start out in Illinois. So I think the opportunity is the right word for it where, uh, you know, there, there's a, a great chance uh, on Saturday for Nebraska to make a statement on a national stage. And I think that's probably carries far more weight for, for them than anything to do with the, the history of this deal. And Robin, Nebraska is a 23 point, 22 point dog um, in this game. So I think the sensible common sense Nebraska fans like look they're you know they're not saying oh Nebraska better win this game or it's over for Scott Frost but I think what a reasonable expectation is look let's go out there and look like a team in its fourth year with a fourth year starting quarterback with a defense that's as veteran like and deep as we've seen and let's go out there and let's fight let's put on a show and say no no that Illinois game was a joke and we are a physical team and we're going to fight like hell and we're going to make Nebraskans feel proud of our team again. Because right now, there's definitely doubt about the product at Nebraska football. You know, you, you watch the last couple of weeks, and they've won. But smart, intelligent Nebraska fans, which there are many of them, um, we have our jobs covering the team, but a lot of fans probably could have the same jobs because they know a lot about what's going on. Mm -hmm. They see the big picture of the O-line is not executing at a high level, and you know, there's small things that – you know, could come up in these games. But if they can come out and, and fight and put a product on the field that you're proud of, I think that's as big about that. That's as important to me as anything on Saturday. Yeah. And again, so 
winning the game is one thing, but the next layer to that is, you know, given something that you know, your program and your fan base can be proud of. Uh, there's been far too many of these types of games where the game's over in the first quarter. And it's basically just a, a total nationally televised embarrassment for everybody associated with Nebraska football. That is what they have to avoid. And I think that they're capable of keeping this thing more competitive than people think. Uh, I mean, obviously Tulane went in there and gave Oklahoma all that they could handle. And so if Tulane can do it, Nebraska can do it. But for that to happen, Nebraska's got to fix a lot of problems that they've been dealing with over the first two weeks. And it starts with that offensive line and then obviously all the other things with the self-inflicted mistakes. There was a lot, though, out of Buffalo that you could be positive about. I mean, Nebraska won 28-3 and they missed three field goals. They had three touchdowns taken off the board Mm. for penalties. And I think one of them was legit, the holding on Bryce Benhart that it waved off the Xavier Betts touchdown last week. But the uh, touchdown taken away from Logan Smothers late in the game, that was a bad call. I mean, the, it was a backwards pitch, yeah. and I don't understand how you can't see that. But it was too close to overturn. They had to stick with the call. And then the the pick play, the offensive pass interference, there was nothing on that play at all. So um, lots of points were left off the board for Nebraska, 23 to be exact, that I think – you know, should have been there, and you, you get 23 more points. I mean, that's a 51-3 to three game at that point. Yeah, and, you know, maybe changes the narrative a little bit. But still, uh, you know, Buffalo is different than Fordham in, in the sense that they are a step up in competition. But, uh, you know, we kind of said after that Illinois game that these, these next two weeks or these past two weeks weren't going to do much for, for a lot of fans that, you know, needed to see – a lot more than they did in week zero and nothing that was going to happen in these other two quote unquote buy games was, was going to do much to, to help kind of fix uh, the, the lot lack of or lost trust that happened with that display in Illinois. So this is, this is finally an opportunity to, to gain back some of that ground, not in terms of just winning back the fan base, but for your own self-confidence to go out there and prove that you're capable of hanging with the number three team in the nation there's a lot of positives that can carry on win or loss uh, into the next week, especially with such a critical game at Michigan State lying ahead uh, next week. And Oklahoma has lost this type of game the last few years. Kansas State has beaten them, I believe, back-to-back years in 11 a.m. games. And Iowa State has beaten Oklahoma. And I granted, Iowa State's a ranked team, but they Oklahoma was a similar type of favorite in those games, and they lost those games. And They've made it known that they don't like 11 a.m. kickoffs, and you can see that by the ticket market right now. Tickets for this game at one time were a $300 get-in price for a face value of 220 Now you can get a ticket for well under $100. Um, so you can get basically half price, Robin, to go to this game right now if you really wanted to go out to Norman um, and, and watch. And I know the initial price of going out there scared off a lot of people because people didn't want to pay $300 a ticket just because, there, honestly, there haven't been that many games in recent years that were $300 a ticket. Well, especially spending that kind of money with, you know. Not knowing yeah. how it's going to go. Exactly. Nebraska fans have fallen into that trap far too many times over the years where, you know, invest all this time, money, effort to, to get to one of these, uh, you know, big road games only to be kind of laughed off the field by by the opposing crowd. So, yeah, I mean, again, this, this is a situation where, uh, you know, Nebraska's – they got a chance to prove a lot, but you know, there's also a chance where things could go south on them in a hurry. You mentioned those games, you know, Iowa State, Kansas State. You know how they went there and beat Oklahoma? They played fundamentally sound, consistent football. And Oklahoma made mistakes. And they, Oklahoma was the one making the critical game-changing mistakes. And uh, that has not been a hallmark of Nebraska football for far too long. And the only way they're going to have a chance is if they play one of the cleanest games they've had yet under Scott Frost. All right, when we come back, we've got a full show on tap here as we get you ready for Saturday's Nebraska-Oklahoma game. We will talk offensive storylines next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
So, I mean, I know we're, we're excited as coaches. Our, I know our players are very excited for, because they understand the, the rivalry. They understand that we're playing against a really good football team. You know, it's, it's, it's an awesome opportunity for them to play against on a, on a big stage. So I think everyone gets that. But at the end of the day, as a coach, regardless who you're playing, all you can do is really control what you control, which is your, your best possible effort as a coach or as a player that, at that moment and treat every game the same. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as you heard, offensive coordinator, Matt Lubick, talking about just this game overall. And this segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill here in Lincoln on 30th and Yankee Hill Road. Get on into Tanner's. They will be open early. Breakfast items available. Bloody Mary's in full force. You want to get somewhere to watch that 11 a.m. game and be a part of it, go into Tanner's, and they'll have all the other games on as well. Um, it's a great spot to go. Um, and, you know, check check their neighbors out next door as well, Ta- uh, Tavern 180. Uh, they have weekend brunch options as well on Saturday and Sunday. Um, was just in there on Sunday, and, and they've been getting big crowds for Sunday brunch. Excellent food at Tavern 180 as well as Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill, both Proud supporters of Husker Online and the work we do here. But, Robin, let's talk offensive storylines going into this game. And I want to go right to the offensive line because, to me, that's the big picture right now. If you can't protect and you can't execute the basic run-blocking plays, it's going to be a long year. And Adrian Martinez bailed them out on Saturday against Buffalo. He had a 71-yard run, and he connected on some deep shots. Um, but the reality is we saw a lot of no gain to one to maybe two yard runs for most of that game against Buffalo. Yeah. And, you know, that's been the the pitfall that Nebraska's uh, had the last three years, you know, offensively is, you know, when they have to, Adrian Martinez needing to do everything. Uh, that's it's too much for him. As good of a player as he, he can be at times, he's not the type of player that can carry an entire offense on his shoulders for four quarters throughout an entire season. And so, um, they need balance. Uh, they need to be able to run the football consistently. Those running backs need to be able to, you know, make the right reads and, and hit the right holes and make guys miss. Uh, and, you know, they, they need to get healthy at wide receiver because right now uh, their entire offense is based around Martinez magic. And while it's been good for the last couple games, we've seen, I mean, go back even to the Illinois game, uh, what happens when – He's off a little bit, and he still needs to do everything on every play for this offense to move the football. So that's that's going to be the key this week, and especially going into league play, is trying to find a supporting cast to step up and take some of the pressure off Adrian's shoulders. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk offensive storylines. And, you know, it, it did appear Gabe Irvin finally caught on late in that game had a couple of back-to-back 10-plus yard runs. and Unfortunately, that's what we have to hang our hat on when we talk about this running game. I mean, Gabe Irvin's 21-yard run was the longest run by a running back all year. It was the only run of 20-plus yards by a Nebraska running back all year. So you have to kind of start baby steps here. Mm-hmm. Marquis Stepp didn't have a great game on Saturday, nor did Sevion Morrison or Ramir Johnson. It was Gabe Irvin that got a majority of it was 31 carries for 105 yards for the group and that's just okay um it needs to you know that 31 carries should be more like about 150 you mm-hmm. know and um they need to get more production but Irvin at least took a step in the right direction Saturday he did and you know it was, it was funny because um you know Matt Lubick kind of came to his defense this week saying that he thought that you know Gabe got some unfair criticism uh, especially after that that first game or, or first two games because, uh, you know, of, of his lack of impact in that starting role. Well, you know, as, as we know, it goes beyond just the, the running back being able to make plays. I mean, when, when there's nowhere to run, uh, yeah, as a Giants fan, Saquon Barkley can't even run when there's nowhere to go. So uh, I, mean, I think the fact that the offensive line, especially in the second half of that Buffalo game, was able to give a little bit more opportunity, a little bit more room to run, and to Gabe's credit, he stuck with it and was able to capitalize on some of those. But you know, it's it's a it's a two part thing where uh, you know the, a lot of the blame is going to go towards the offensive line for Nebraska's inability to consistently run the football. But it, it needs those running backs to continue to hit the holes like Gabe did in, in the second half against Buffalo. Those tight ends need to be able to set the edge better, and getting uh, Volkolek and Allen back would go a long way in doing that. And then the receivers need to be able to block downfield. So. 
it's a real collective effort of, of improving that thing that goes beyond just the offensive line needs to block better. Yeah, and that receiver tight end situation against Buffalo was a mess. You had Oliver Martin and, and Omar Manning already out with injuries. And I believe Xavier Betts even got nicked up in the game mm-hmm. Saturday. Um, he did. He was re- playing really well before that, too. And so he didn't return back after that. And you would like to have seen him play more. Alante Brown is coming off of an injury. So he's you know sluggish to an extent, but still has flashes. But yeah, the tight end room. I don't know if there's a coach on the staff that's done a better job than Sean Becton with the hand he's been dealt. Think about this. Travis Volkluck's been out, obviously, all year. Austin Allen goes down with a concussion. Kurt Roftal transferred in the spring to Boise State, where he starts now. Thomas Fedoni, who basically played an impact on 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 um, Raftal transferring, got hurt in the spring. So you had all that happen on Saturday. You're rolling out Chris Hickman, Chancellor Brewington, and Nate Borricker. And those dudes produced. Absolutely, they did. They had, more ca- they had as many catches as Nebraska's wide receivers did. Um, Borricker was a good blocker, and uh, did I say his name right? Borkercher. I always want to say Bo Ricker. Remember the Kansas yes. City Chiefs receiver yes. from Hastings, Nebraska? Yes, I do remember that guy. Nate, or um, is it was it Bo? Bo I'm trying to remember what his first name was. But I don't know. He played for Hastings College, <laughs> and I always want to. I just, I just wish this guy was like a relative of that guy, but obviously, just from the same part of the state. Um, but yeah, the Chancellor Brewington. Like, who is this guy? And all of a sudden, he's become like a you know, a, a reliable option. And then Hickman, you know, with a breakout game on Saturday. I mean, so Sean Becton, hats off to you because you've done a really good job with that room. Yeah, when a walk-on transfer from Northern Arizona can step in and become <laughs> one of your more productive players in Chancellor Brewington, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a real feather in the cap of Sean Becton. So not only has he recruited a room that unfortunately has been kind of decimated uh, with, with injuries early on this season, but he's able to develop guys that, you know, I mean, Chris Hickman and Brewington and those guys, they're, they're not the big tight ends. Bo Ricker. That, 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 that Vokalek and Allen are, but they're still blocking, you know, as well as you could expect. So, uh, you know, really hats off to that position group and particularly Sean Becton for, for making a lot of lemonade out of, out of some of these lemons. No, yeah, and he, he, we haven't talked to Becton in a few weeks, but, yeah, I think they're really lucky to have him. He's probably a guy that almost could be a head coach somewhere, like at a smaller mm-hmm. FCS-type college. I mean, he has a presence about him like a head coach. Um, so that will be interesting to see, though, if they can get Volkolek and Austin Allen back. Briefly, here's we wrap it up, Robin. It was good too to see Logan Smothers now for the second week in a row get some quality reps, connect on the deep shot uh, to Hickman. Got kind of a raw deal on the penalty that wiped away his option touchdown, um, but he impressed me um, more than I thought he would in his first two games. He seems to be the type of guy that is a gamer because uh, I I was one of the harder critics on him just from watching him. You know, I just. I don't know. He left a lot to be desired for me. I mean, his accuracy, the strength of his throws, it just didn't look didn't look good enough to me. And so, you know, I, I was really skeptical about what he would be at this level and if he would ever make an impact here. But clearly the staff uh, saw a lot more than I did and had a lot more faith in him. And then they put him in there and gave him his chance, starting with, you know, the majority of that fourth quarter against Fordham. Uh, and he, he did well. Uh, you know, he was a little tight in that Fordham game, but uh, certainly kind of took that that next opportunity against Buffalo, and I thought made a lot of big-time plays that gives you a little bit better feeling about that QB room behind Adrian Martinez. All right, we come back. We'll talk defensive storylines next. You're listening to the Husker Light Show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I mean, growing up, like, I didn't watch as much Nebraska as I watch Oklahoma. Like, I was more Big 12 obviously growing up in Kansas, so I watch more Big 12 games than I watch Big 10 games. Uh, so growing up, they've always just been a really good team, really good program. I mean, there's not much else to be said about that. They're a really good team. It's a really good offense across the board. You know, they got a lot of experience. 
And then the new guys they have are really good football players. A lot of returning starters and or transfers. Uh, really good quarterback that can run the ball. Um, he can make all the throws. Uh, running back, they got one guy that'll put his foot in the ground and try to run you over, and another guy that'll bounce it all around. Uh, speed on the perimeter and an experienced offensive line. So it's going to be a very good, very good test for the defense. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun game. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Awash, as you heard, Luke Reimer, the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week that we learned lived eight doors down from Larry and Carol Frost in Northwest Lincoln when he moved here. How about Andy Candy, Candy asking if he trick-or-treated at, <laughs> at Larry and Carol Frost? And then the, the comeback answer by Luke Reimer, like, dude, I'm a junior in high school when I moved there. Do you think I trick-or-treated? <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't put it past. I mean, you know, the, the, what's wrong with getting a little candy? Uh, yeah, I mean, who wants? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you take your take your little cousins or someone sure, out, and you mooch sure. off the candy. But uh, then you heard Eric Chenando there breaking down this sooner offense and what they're going to see. But let's go back to Luke Reimer. You talk about a story and and what this kid's been through. His father passed away. Um, grew up in small town Kansas on the border of Oklahoma and moves up to Lincoln North Star to live with his mom moved up here. His brother lived up here and just kind of came out of nowhere as a walk on. And, you know, you, you saw the potential right away. The Maryland game in 2019, when he came in the game late, you're like, this dude looks like he's being shot out of a cannon, making tackles and mop up duty on that rainy night in college park, Maryland. Then he got a scholarship the next year in um, 2020 and his first game that he played at, at Northwestern. I mean, he was a dude, but his body still couldn't get right. And mm-hmm. he kept getting hurt. He's played really well, Robin, and that was a breakout game for Luke Reimer to become the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Well, you listen to Nebraska's coaches. It took all of like two practices for them to know that they had a dude. I mean, Scott Frost said this walk-on kid from you know right up the street from his parents' house. You know, he immediately knew this was a guy that was going to be on scholarship very quickly, uh, just because of the the dynamic athleticism and pure football instincts that he has. As a linebacker, you know, we, we've seen guys like this. I'm not going to put him in the Levante David category now, but that's what made Levante so good was he just was such an instinctive player that he could read plays as like, almost as they were happening and was so quick and explosive to get to the ball and disrupt plays before they even got to the line of scrimmage. Luke brings a little bit of that to the table. Um, you know, I mean, obviously he's still got a lot of grooming to do just uh, with his, his development as a linebacker. But, you know, I really thought that performance, uh, you know, against Buffalo was as complete of a overall individual effort as we've seen from uh, a Nebraska linebacker in a long time. I mean, obviously 16 tackles, uh, the interception was huge, that fourth down one-on-one tackle along the sideline that resulted in a turnover and downs. I mean, those are big-time plays, but you go beyond that. Uh, I mean, he had uh, one of the best coverage games per the pro football focus grades that we look at as any Nebraska defender this season. The only, I think he scored in the like at the ninety point five or yeah eighty or sorry eighty seven point nine, and the only one higher than that was Deontay Williams when he had the two picks against Fordham. So uh, you're talking about a linebacker that's racking up sixteen tackles and covering that well where he allowed just one catch on four targets with a pick i mean that that's like i said from top to bottom and every responsibility that's as good of a performance as you're going to see from an inside linebacker and you always ask people say who are the all big 10 guys like potentially on nebraska well he's an all big 10 potential guy he's in the mix um cam taylor Britt on paper is but he hasn't played like it i mean that was disappointing to me on saturday yeah he, he had the punt muff deal but there were two plays where he made the decision to jump the route yeah. and go for the pick versus making the tackle behind the stick. That rhymed. Um, <laughs> but there's the first one where it looked like he made a good jump on it, and the ball just went right over his head. And then they got a first down. The second one was a third down where the ball was clearly thrown in front of the stick. All he had to do was make the tackle. They're going to be punting it deep in their own territory. And then it gave them the first down. So – there have been little things from Cam Taylor Britt, not just the punt return issues, but I, you just get the sense he, he is so desperate to want to be a hero and turn a game, and he almost did it. He should have done it at Illinois. He had the chance to, if not for the um, late hit penalty on Caleb Tanner, but he, Cam Taylor Britt just needs to play within the game. 
Yeah, I think that's carrying over the the frustrations from his his punt return fiasco. Is that uh, you know he wants to make an impact and he wants to do something to 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 help his team win the game so badly that he's almost making poor decisions and and taking too big of risks. Now I will say that. Uh, those defensive backs are taught to take risks. You know, I mean, that's kind of their whole mantra. Remember from day one, the no fear of failure, where when you're confident enough in what you're doing, they're, they're going to give you the leash to go out there and, and take some chances to try and make game-changing plays. But you got to know when to pick your spots. And I think right now, plays like that show that Cam's forcing it just just a little bit. But, you know, to his credit, he paid, played 85, 87 snaps on defense and allowed three catches on seven targets. So, I mean, it's, it's not like he's playing poorly by any stretch, but when you have those kind of backfire decisions, uh, I mean, those things will cost you in a big way, especially as the competition increases this week. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk defense. You know, one thing, Robin, they did a great job on last week is getting off the field on third and fourth downs, winning on the line of scrimmage at times when it really mattered. Uh, Garrett Nelson's playing really good football. Maybe the best we've seen at Nebraska as far as impactful third down type stops. Damian Daniels, another guy that has played well the last two weeks. Um, you know, and Stilly. Stilly has been so consistent. Honestly, of that group up front, Ty Robinson might be one of the quieter guys mm-hmm. um, in terms of impactful plays go, but he's done his job as well. I mean, I just think that front seven overall has at least met my expectation of what I thought they could be early on, and they have to play at that level or higher again on Saturday. Well, and especially when, you know, we talk about being able to pressure the quarterback. That was a big question uh, was, you know, who was going to be able to to be that pass rusher? Well, uh, collectively, the defensive line has done a really good job and gotten Nebraska fairly consistent pressure on the quarterback without having to do much, uh, you know, design blitzes. And, you know, Ben Stilley, you know, he had, uh, you know, four quarterback pressures by himself, three hurries and a hit. And so while they didn't necessarily get home a lot, which is hard to do on Kyle Van Trees, which, uh, you know, <laughs> Eric Chenander kind of likened him to Tom Brady with not being able to get hit. I mean, he's just really good at avoiding contact. Uh, they were still able to get in his face a lot and disrupt throws, disrupt the timing of plays, and, and make him uncomfortable. And they were doing it with a four-man front. And as we know, when you're able to get consistent pressure with just your defensive line, your defense takes a dramatic step forward in the the, the, the linebacker and secondary production. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we wrap up defensive discussion for Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Robin Spencer Rattler too. Just how Nebraska chooses to go at him because he has had his moments where he's been quote rattled. Um, (laughs) No pun intended, (laughs) but I think they've got to figure out a way to get him off balance, get him to take some chances that lead to turnovers. Yeah. I mean that the thing about it though, is you got to be careful, which uh, the, the one thing that he does as well as anybody in the country uh, is extend plays with his mobility while always keeping his eyes downfield. And they have those speedster playmaker wide receivers on the edge that if you take your eyes off them, they will get open and Rattler will find them for chunk plays that change games. And so, uh, you know, Eric Chenander said, eye discipline. You know, it's always important, but especially in a game like this where you have a veteran high-level quarterback like Spencer Rattler who has the element of mobility but isn't going to just be a runner. I mean, he's going to sit there and run around and, and kind of Russell Wilson style uh, extend plays and, you know, run scramble drills. I mean, Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, those are the types of what makes him so good is their ability to just freestyle create. It. And that's what Spencer Rattler does. So discipline you know, with your eyes and assignment is going to be as important as ever for Nebraska's defense. All right. When we come back, we will take questions in the mailbag with Abby Barmore. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's uh, it's one of the biggest rivalries in all of college football. I'm excited. I'm excited to go down. I've never, I've coached in many different stadiums across the country. I've never been um, there. 
So I'm excited. I'm really excited to play in this football game, really excited for the atmosphere for our guys. You know, and I think this this is a good rivalry that's been reignited. Um, you know, you kind of you watch the games when you're young and you hear about them, but you've never experienced it. So I'm really excited to experience this football game. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, now Abby Barmore, as you heard Defensive coordinator Eric Shenander just talking about this game and and really what it means um, going forward uh, for him and this program. And uh, now it's time for the mailbag segment on the show. As Abby, what do you have to lead us off with on the mailbag? Do you expect Oliver Martin, Omar Manning, Travis Vokalek, and Austin Allen to be back on Saturday? I'll throw Casey Rogers in there as well, um, the defensive lineman who's been out. I I'm optimistic that all of those guys. Omar is the one that is hard to read um, because he's just hard to read. <laughs> In general. Because <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I mean, I think the tight ends will be back. I think Allen's for sure going to be back. I think I'm really good about vocal. Like I feel very good about Casey Rogers trying to get back. The receivers are probably the hardest to read, um, but I know they were optimistic. I mean, Oliver Martin got hurt against – Illinois, and I, I just think he needed an extra week on that one. Well, and uh, Matt Lubick said that they ex- thought he was going to be back last week, too, and just couldn't quite uh, get himself in, in position to play. So I think that he's very, very close, if not ready to return this week. How important is it for Nebraska's offense to get those guys back against Oklahoma? Well, just the big play element. Um, it gives you more threats. When you when you look at Omar and Oliver Martin, I mean, those are two of their top four receivers. To, I mean, People on our message board are arguing two of their top three. <laughs> um, depends on you know who, who great as the starters are, but um, it's big. Uh, the tight ends, though, to me, the blocking that's been lost with Volkolek, if he can give them a better edge presence to block, I think that's a, a really big thing this offense hasn't had. Well, yeah, and just having both those guys. I mean, Austin Allen's a mismatch problem against anybody, and Nebraska's going to have to throw the ball to win this game. Obviously, you want to stay balanced with the running game, but how you beat Oklahoma is attacking their secondary. Uh, that's been the weakness for them for, for years now, and for Nebraska to have a chance at scoring enough points and keeping up with Oklahoma's offense, they're going to have to make plays down the field through the air, and having all your weapons in the passing game at your disposal will be critical. We're taking your questions in the mailbag with Husker Online intern Abby Barmore. How good can this receiving core be when everyone is healthy, just big picture-wise? Um, I, I think they've been on record saying that this is the deepest um, and most talented group that they've had since Coach Frost has been here, and um, the potential is definitely there. Oliver Martin and Samari Torre have already had 100-yard games. Omar Manning has shown flashes that, that we've seen. And then Xavier Betts. I mean, you look at a guy like him, even Alante Brown. I mean, th- there's a lot of depth and talent there. And then you, you've got kind of the solid role-player guys that do their job in there too, like Lever and, and – um, Falk. Falk, Falk, and you know the, the Brody Belt made a nice catch last week, and I know fans are critical that, but those guys do their job, and you know I don't think it's fair just to get mad because they're beating out the scholarship guys. Like I, I, they've done their job, they do what they're supposed to do. So I, I think that adds to the the, the 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 room in general just to have options and depth. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but what they need to have is all those guys on the field together. I mean, just the. Lack of opportunity to have their receiving core at full strength this season has really, I think, stunted the development of this passing game. And uh, there's no coincidence that, you know, Samari Toure is the one guy that's been out there every week, and he's the one guy that has developed a rapport with Adrian Martinez to become an impact player. So until those other guys actually get on the field, I think that's going to kind of hold back this passing game from reaching its full potential. Aside from special teams, what is your biggest area of improvement for this team to make a bowl game? Uh, offensive line play up front. Yep. I, I think if they can't, you know, run these base runs as Scott Frost hammers down and get consistent yardage, everything else around them stinks. I mean, the running game has an effect on the entire dynamic of this team because it helps Adrian and what he does in the passing game, and it, it brings safeties, um, you know, back to respect the pass more. But then on the flip side, the running game keeps your defense off the field as well because if they can get first downs, that's less time that the defense is going to be on the field, which that also has an impact. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line is the clear answer there, but to kind of just take it to a different layer, I'll say the running game in general, 
Uh, the running backs have to, when when there's actually holes to be hit, they got to hit them. Uh, they have to be way better at identifying uh, where they need to go and being explosive and getting to the next level, and then making people miss. Uh, the the tight ends, receivers have to be better blocking on the perimeter and downfield to turn five yard runs into fifteen yard runs. And so uh, it's really a collective effort, I think, as Scott Frost said, for for this running game to be what it needs to be to make this offense balanced. What has to happen for Nebraska to shock the world and win on Saturday? Um, I, I think they've got to execute and win up front on both sides of the ball. And they have to have a running game, as we know. And, and they have to find some big plays and turnovers. I mean, I, I get that they're a 22, 23-point dog. But go back to 2018. Nebraska was that type of dog at Ohio State. And they had a chance to go up by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter almost at that point if J.D. Spielman doesn't drop a wide-open ball. So – has it been done very often where you win a game like this? No. I mean, there's a reason why those guys in Vegas build those casinos every with mm-hmm. the money they make. But there have been games where Nebraska has been a dog like this and played better. The potential is there on this Nebraska team to, to make this a game. Um, but has that potential ever all shown up for Nebraska on the same Saturday? Not very often. No, and, and that's the thing. I mean, there's a list of things that need to happen, and if they happen, Nebraska more than has a chance. I mean, Tulane showed that you could go in there and you you can you can compete with Oklahoma if you ca- if you do what you're supposed to do and you catch them on the right on the right day. So, I mean, the opportunity is there, but for that opportunity to have any chance at happening. They have to be close to perfect in all phases. And, you know, you're looking at a team that has been hardly that uh, for three years now. And, you know, the special teams, they've been downright miserable. So they just don't they need to be not just adequate, but they need to be good. You need to be able to convert some big returns. You need to be able to make, make some field kicks. goals, yeah. make some extra points. Win the field position <laughs> battle. And then obviously taking care of the football and, and the penalties and mistakes and stuff like that. They have to be cleaned up. we got time for two more, Abby. If Nebraska were to play perfect and win, would this be the current game of the century? Oh, I mean, no. I mean, I think it would be the game of the Frost era that maybe turned turned the tide. Because right now, it's a very indifferent feeling amongst the fan base. Very divided uh, feel on, on just the direction. And the vocal minority, if you want to call them that, they're vocal as hell. And they really make it known that they're not happy with things. And a game like this would quiet down a lot of that um, because that Illinois game has had an effect. You can't say it didn't have an effect. It affected just the the confidence and morale of the fan base or to the point where, you know, if Nebraska's 3-0 and would have won at Illinois, I think more people would have gone down there to this game. I, mm-hmm. I, I still think you're going to see fans down here, Robin, but the secondary market has brought the prices down to under $100, and that's a $220 face value ticket. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it would be big in a lot of respects. It'd be by far the biggest win of the Frost era. By far the biggest win. His only ranked, it would be his only ranked probably win. Probably of this decade for the program. Uh, but, you know, then there's a whole lot of season left. And so it only carries you so far. If you win this game and uh, go in leg and egg in East Lansing, you're right back to, to ground zero here. So um, th- there's a lot of opportunity here for Nebraska to make a statement. But that statement only resonates so long if it doesn't get followed up with sustained success. So they have an opportunity to have a major springboard here as a program. Even if they don't win the game, if they play well, make this competitive, and don't get embarrassed, I think that can still give you positive momentum and get some people back on board going into league play. All right, final question. What is your favorite Oklahoma and Nebraska memory? Well, you know, I was, I was born in the 80s, 1980 to be exact. Um, so I, I was too young to really remember the, the mid to late 80s games, which were a lot of one versus two, one versus three type games. So for me, I'll say 2000. And it was a loss for Nebraska. But going down to Norman, that was a 2000 team with Bob Stoops in his second year. That like turned things around. That, that put OU back on the map. Nebraska jumped up 14 nothing. Um, in that game with Eric Crouch. And then they blew the lead. Josh Heupel, um, Rocky Rocky Boyman, Tarrant, Torrance Marshall. Um, there were some really good players on that Bob Stoops team. And they took down Nebraska. And that was a huge moment to kind of you know, pass the torch. I mean, from that moment on, Nebraska's only beaten OU in 2001 and 2009. And obviously they left the conference in 10. But... Um, just feeling that rivalry turn back on in 2000, that was a moment I'll never forget. 
Yeah. And for me, it would be 01, uh, the flip side of that, where, you know, that was one of the biggest games that uh, I was a freshman and I didn't get to go to it because I didn't win that one in part of my ticket lottery. But uh, watching that in the dorms with uh, a bunch of my buddies and just running around going crazy when, uh, you know, the, the, the reverse pass to Eric Crouch, uh, that was one of those like the, the last like big time moments that, you know, Nebraska football has had where they won a nationally you know, just a, the, the full spent national spotlight on them, and they won the game. They did it dramatic fashion, and, you know, <laughs> literally we know that there'd be far few of those to come. Well, and at the time, the 2010 Big Ten title, Big 12 title game was special, too, just because you knew it was like the last time that they were ever going to play as conference opponents. And it was two Youngstown coaches, Bo Pelini and Bob Stoops. So that was a cool moment. Nebraska also blew a 17 nothing <laughs> lead in that game as well. But... Um, should be a good one, Abby. Thank you very much. And if you haven't followed Abby on volleyball coverage, she is doing an awesome job. Absolutely. Um, so make you. sure you follow Abby's work as uh, we are all in on volleyball because of Abby Barmore. She is doing great work on Husker Online. When we come back, we'll close the show. Bob Pritz Bibbo from Soonerscoop.com will join me as uh, he'll give some perspective on this matchup. You're listening to the Husker Online show. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, final segment of the show as we get, we get you ready for this Oklahoma-Nebraska game in Norman at 11 a.m. Central on Fox. And pleased to have on the program Bob Prisbillo, um, longtime Oklahoma Sooners writer um, with our Rivals.com site now, uh, sooner scoop, but you've been around a long time, Bob, and it, it's a pleasure to have you on. As we joked off air, um, Oklahoma, Nebraska, it's a lot of old guy talk, but a lot of these players <laughs> are just having a hard time um, getting caught up in the in the fever, the the uh, the old the old uh, rekindling of the flame here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we talked with Lincoln Riley today, he just sort of mentioned like they had a slideshow, like video presentation, you know, trying to show classic moments, you know, classic games, because, I mean, you, you know, we talk about, you know, guys like Johnny Rogers and Billy Sims. These guys don't even know, like, Josh Heifel and Eric Crouch. I mean, that's that's just the way it is right now. But, you know, there's, there's no doubt that interest is incredibly high in in this type of game. It's just about, you, you know, for the players, it's, it's trying to stay focused on the task at hand, and that's something that Lincoln has preached throughout you know you just take it one game at a time you're allowed to enjoy this this type of moment but you still have to be focused at what you got to do when saturday comes we're talking here to bob prisbillo from soonerscoop.com as we get you ready for nebraska oklahoma and you know you've got demarco murray he played in a couple of these games i'm sure he's uh, he was in that 09 game i know against indomitian sue i mean that, that's probably the the last link to the current sooner uh, coaching staff and roster to the past games yeah, you got DeMarco Murray, Calvin Thibodeau, Joe John Finley, you know, guys that played in the aughts that, you know, had when it was like, you know, every couple of years when OU and the Huskers would uh, would play. And Murray was a part of the, the final game between these two teams, that 2010 Big 12 championship. But, you know, outside of that, yeah, there's, there's not much to, to link it to what what's going on currently and I, I think you know maybe by highlighting the 50th anniversary you know maybe that'll bring up some nostalgia and, and maybe inspire you know to start seeing the Nebraska of old start to show up here in the upcoming uh, months and years and it's an 11 a.m game down there and I know we're in the big 10 now and, and I mean we've kind of been just used to the 11 a.m games um, just with the way the windows work for the big 10. Um, you get some afternoon and evening windows too, but uh, I got the sense that there were a lot of people within OU that were really upset when this game was at 11 a.m. Um, what what is the stadium like in Norman 
for an 11 a.m. game compared to maybe an evening kickoff, um, which a lot of people were hoping this game would be? Yeah, there's no doubt athletic director Joe Castiglione was banking on this being a night game, going all out with the pageantry, you know, commemorating the 50th anniversary, bringing all these former players and coaches back from both sides. Let's, let, let's do it up. Let's have a lot of fun. Kind of get cut off at the knees by going at 11. I actually think this Saturday will be one 11 a.m. game that all OU fans are going to be fired up for. I don't think that's going to be a problem. But there's, there's no question the atmosphere at night is different in Norman. And there's no question that the recruiting weekend is a lot different because it is so tough to try to bring in those kids, especially like if they're on the East Coast, West Coast, and they're playing a game Friday night and then trying to get them into Norman on time for 11 a.m. kick is, a, is just really tough to do. And I think that stems to be a lot of you know the animosity or frustration about this whole process is that when you have those early morning kicks for a marquee game, it's hard to make it as big of a recruiting weekend as you know those coaches really want to do. Well, and now Oklahoma's got the SEC storyline looming over them, and I'm sure Lincoln Riley has tried to keep that away from the players because it, it may be till 2025 when this all happens. Um, but what kind of off-season distraction storyline has that been for the fan base, kind of knowing that they filed their divorce papers with the Big 12 and they're sleeping on the couch until they get the paperwork settled? Yeah, for a lot of them, it's, it's about time. There's been so much frustration with how this conference has been run the last five, ten years and just feeling that they're always reactive, never proactive, never doing anything to really help out their standing going forward. And I know like it can't be a storyline within the current team, but talking to a lot of recruits, 2022, 23, 24, and it's already starting to be ingrained into their heads that, yeah, we're going to be part of the SEC. If you sign with us, you commit with us, you're going to be playing in the best conference in all of college football. Now, it hasn't mattered a lot. Like in the last five, ten years, there are certain kids that have said, you know, maybe OU is going to be one of my choices, but I'd rather go to SEC. I'd rather go where I know I'm going to be developed, where I know I can make it to the next level. And that's sort of the stigma that OU's been fighting uphill against for years and years, and now that has has gone away. And, you know, I've never felt the program has been in a better position to make that type of jump than right now. When this was discussed, you know, maybe, you know, five years ago, mm, I don't know. They weren't there. But based on recruiting, based on performance, based on the trajectory of where everything is going – this is the time that they can make that jump and be confident that it's the right move for all reasons involved. And I know they're saying 2025 um, is kind of like the out front, like probably obviously when it has to happen by, but what, what's your sense? Is this going to happen by 22, 23, 24? I mean, could we see it a lot earlier than 25? I think so. I think 2023 is the date that's got to be circled. I don't know how, you could go like within the other uh, the other eight schools that are in the conference and try to act like your buddy buddy for the next you know three four years. So and and now that you have uh, you have BYU just flat out saying we're coming in 2023, I think that kind of opens the door a bit because I I don't think OU and Texas plan on playing the four new member schools that will arrive going forward. So I you know. At first thought, I almost thought 2022, but as things have gone on, it's like, mm, I don't think it can come together that fast. So I'm looking at 2023 as, as the first year when, when it really happens, and you can just tell there's a lot of excitement. There's, you know, a, a lot of people also kind of wondering what, you know, how weird is it going to be to not have OSU, and that's weird because they're pointing toward Nebraska. It's like, OU Nebraska is not really a thing either, so maybe Bedlam – doesn't become a thing so it's just sort of weird how you we make moves like that the rivalries that go away with it but you know i mean that's just the landscape of college sports and land of just following the money and just seeing where where everything goes from there as we get you ready for saturday's nebraska oklahoma game with bob persbello from sooner scoop let's talk about saturday what what, did, what have you learned about oklahoma 
through two games against Tulane in Western Carolina. I think it probably was good for them to have games like this to figure out some things, but they got a close call versus Tulane. Is this team what we thought it was going to be? Or are there still a lot of questions? It can be, but yeah, there's definitely still a lot of question marks just because, you know, when you get up 37, 14 at half against the green wave, then you just kind of shut it down. It felt like everyone did. The fans did, offense did, defense did. And, you know, they preached all preseason camp, finish, finish, finish. And then you come out in the first game, and you do the exact opposite. And so that was the message last week is like how you prepare Tuesday and Wednesday is going to show up in your performance Saturday. And what they did last week was a lot better. It was an overmatched opponent. So it's really, you, you know, it's hard to gauge it. You could tell internally that the players felt like they rose their game up to another level. But that was one week. This is the type of week where I think you would really see, learn if, if, if they took anything from Tulane it shows up this week. It shows up about respecting your opponent, not just thinking, oh, because we're in the top three of the entire country. We show up Saturday, we're just going to win. And I think that might have been the attitude towards the first game. It wasn't last week, but now can they maintain that intensity? Because that's really that's been a problem a lot in the years that, that uh, Lincoln Riley has called the, the shots in Norman, is that OU does so well to start, build this massive lead, and then things just slowly dwindle. The offense has a lull that you don't see coming, and then you end up, you know, just scratching and clawing to try to, you know, hold off that upset uh, chance. And I know that's what OU fans do not want to see once again when it comes to Saturday's game. All right, finally, here as we wrap it up, how do you see this game coming out, and kind of what concerns you um, in this matchup for OU playing against a team like Nebraska? If anything concerns you at all at this point. I think it is just the fact that they still are learning how to finish. And that sounds so weird because a lot of these guys have been around the program for years and years, and they've seen what happens when they don't play a full four quarters. But there's that adrenaline's going to be maybe at the highest it's been in a long time. Because not only is it Nebraska coming in, not only are those fans going to be going for it, going to be the best atmosphere in Norman since 2019 and some of those guys you know who arrived in 2020 didn't get the full experience of what Norman what a game weekend is supposed to be like so they're going to be all fired up all rev all revved up but what's going to happen when that emotion goes away and it's about executing and it's about maintaining your level of intensity and if if OU doesn't create a couple takeaways try to get the crowd going, you know, does any doubt start to seep in? You know, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I also don't think this is going to be a laugher. I know people look at what Nebraska did against the Illini and what the Illini have done since, and then they look at OU and they're like, oh, man, this spread needs to be like 30 to 35 points. I can, There's no way I can see it being that lopsided. But I do think OU is able to control this game, and, you know, they, they, they get the win. And, but it's going to be more about trying to build to the rest of the season. There's still a lot of just question marks and things that you're not sure of at, at this point. Maybe you cross off a couple of them, but there's still going to be more issues for OU to try to deal with as they get into Big 12 play, which starts next week. Well, Bob, we appreciate the time, and I'm looking forward to getting a chance to see you guys, you, Carrie, and the crew, uh, and Eddie uh, down in Norman this weekend. All right, Sean. Appreciate it, man. Well, make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com. Also, subscribe to our podcast on anywhere you can find podcasts on the Husker Online podcast channel. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.